Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Good morning, Grace. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Uh, I thank God for you musicians that lead us. Can we sing that every week before I preach? That makes preaching easy. Uh, today we close out the book of Philippians, so please take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. While you're making your way there, um, because we looked last week at gospel contentment, and when we find contentment in the gospel and all that God is for us in His Son, Jesus Christ, it then gives us eyes to see how God has ordained situations and people that come into our lives, and then we can be moved to action to meet their needs. So in keeping that before you, I just want to remind you that even though we're several months past Sanctity of Life Sunday, we want to keep abortion before us. So if you feel moved because you're content in the gospel to get involved with Karenette at San, in here in Santa Maria, please do that. Uh, we we want to keep that before us. We don't want to focus upon it once a year. But if you feel so led, you can help out Karenette. Just call them up and say, what can we do for you? Okay, uh, let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you so much that Jesus lives. Thank you, Father, that no power of hell no sin of ours, nothing can separate us from the love of our Savior. Thank you, God, because we have sinned so much this week, and our sin does not separate us from your Son because he has given us his righteousness. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you that your Son lives, that Jesus lives, God. And one day we will live too. You will make our bodies new. We will be with you on the new earth. We will see you face to face and we will bask in worship and bask in your presence, Father. Thank you that you've given us your spirit as a down payment, guaranteeing that that reality will come true for us. And your spirit that you've given us, Father, I ask now that, you would, that, that he would come, Father, and open our eyes to see wonderful truths out of your word that we may live for you and be transformed from the inside out until the day we experience that final transformation. So come and do a work in our hearts this morning, Father, so that you get glory and so that the fruit of your spirit is evident in our lives. Would you come and do that, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've made it through the book of Philippians. I hope that our time in this book has catapulted you into an ocean of gospel. I hope you are intoxicated with the gospel as a result of being in this book. I hope that you love the triune God Father, Son, and Spirit so much more as a result of being in this book. I know that my joy has been unleashed having preached through this, and I hope that is true for you. If you've been with us in this study of this book and this exposition, you will not be surprised that the Apostle Paul comes back once again to talk about the gospel as he concludes this letter. Paul is going to pull the Philippian church back in at the end of his letter to remind them about the gospel and about how joy in God generates other-centeredness 
in a church community. That when we find our joy in Jesus Christ, what it should do is generate this other-centeredness in our hearts that we begin to look at other people and want to meet their needs. And then we begin to die to selfishness. That's what we'll see as we come to the end here. Our big idea today, and I have to let you know, I am stealing this from John Piper. Okay, so make no bones about it. I didn't come up with this. I'm stealing it from John Piper. Here's our big idea today, and I think we see it in the passage. Our big idea is this. Love is the overflow of joy in God, which gladly meets the needs of others. Love is the overflow of the joy that we have in God, and it generates that other-centeredness in our hearts that we want to meet the needs of others. We're happy about meeting the needs of others. I think that's what we'll see in the concluding section here of Philippians. When our joy in Jesus gets unleashed, it generates other-centeredness in believers, and that love will then cause us to delight to meet the needs of other people. We know that Paul prayed that actually in chapter 1. He prayed for the Philippians' love to overflow. And he kind of comes back and he, he shows us that they have actually already been doing this. Even though he began his letter talking about their overflowing love, he comes to the end and describes how that has already been happening in this church, but he prays for it more and more. Look at verse 14 through 17 with me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel... When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. See, Paul was not merely acknowledging that the Philippian church had financially been helping him. He's not just saying, hey, you did your part, you were supposed to, I commend you for your praiseworthy action. He's not. He's talking about their sacrificial love that, that, that came out of a heart that found joy in the gospel and met his needs. He says, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. That's love. That's love when you come alongside someone and you share in their trouble. The word share here is that, that Greek word for fellowship or partnership, which most of you know. It's the Greek word koinonia. It means fellowship or partnership. But Paul takes this word and then he sticks on the front of it the preposition with. So Paul is saying, you have with fellowshiped with me. You have koinonia with me. And they did this through their gifts that they sent through Epaphroditus. Cards saying we, we love you and support you, money to help him buy what he needed, maybe some food, other items, pillows, clothes, you name it, whatever it was. Their gifts were a sign that they had, that they had identified with Paul and his ministry, and it served as further evidence that they were partnering with him in gospel ministry. See, their joy in Jesus was unleashed, so they gladly met Paul's knees. That's love. And that's why we should give here at Grace, because we love the people here. We love this church. Have you fellowshipped with us? Have you with fellowshipped with us? Have you koinonia with us? Have you experienced blessing through, through someone praying for you, through singing these songs, through small groups, through, through youth group, through the Awana ministry, through Sunday school, through the preaching and teaching of God's word? If you have 
I hope that when you give financially here at Grace, you do so because you have joy in God and because you believe that we are about the gospel here. That's why I hope that you give. Because you believe that we are about the business of spreading the gospel. Don't give here financially. Don't serve here because you think you have to. That it's some duty that you have to do. Give because you delight in Jesus. And you want to be like him. And you want to be a servant. And you want to sacrifice. Give because you believe in this church body. And you believe that we're preaching the gospel to our city and to the nations. Now, the Philippian church, Paul says, was the only church, when he began preaching his preaching ministry in this area, was the only church to demonstrate through this sacrificial giving that they believed in his ministry. It's what he says in verse 15. He says, you, you know, when I left and started preaching, you were the only church that supported me. In fact, he says in verse 16 that they met his needs. See the word needs? That's why I'm stealing the phrase from John Piper. They gladly met his needs. He says, once and again. See, when Paul brought the gospel message to the city of Philippi, it, it, it took root there. It took root in, in, in a lady named Lydia, who was a very wealthy lady who, who dealt in, in purple fabrics. I guess people wanted purple clothes back then. And, and she made money that way. She was very wealthy. Also, the gospel took root in the Philippian jailer who was suicidal. And then became born again. It also took root in a demon-possessed girl who had just gone through an exorcism. And here she was plugged into the church. That was the core group that Paul started the church at Philippi with. Lydia, the wealthy lady who dealt in purple fabrics, the suicidal jailer, and the, the formerly demon-possessed girl. That's his core group that he starts a church plant with. Tell that to the church planning experts. That's all I got. A rich lady... A guy who just wanted to kill himself and a girl who just had some demons leave her. I'm going to plant a church. It demonstrates the power of the gospel. And Paul says, when I came to Philippi, you can read about it in Acts chapter 16. Paul says, when I came to Philippi and then went on preaching to, at Thessalonica and other cities, he says, you, this little tiny church, kept supporting me. Paul says that they entered into fellowship or partnership here. The ESV says partnership with him. It's used two times here in these verses with Paul. Because the Philippians were united in gospel fellowship with Paul, it generated other-centeredness in them. They were thinking of and giving to Paul. That's what gospel fellowship should generate, other-centeredness. When we link together, we come together in the gospel, it should produce... uh, a selflessness that we die to ourselves, and we're actually concerned about other people more than we are about ourselves. What a radical idea, right? Now, the most exciting verse of this passage is verse 17. It will remind us through Paul that love is the overflow of joy in God, which gladly meets the needs of others. Paul was excited to receive financial help and gifts from the Philippians. But why? What was the bottom line for Paul? You might be tempted to think that Paul was excited because they brought him a bunch of money and a bunch of gifts. But that's not the reason that Paul is rejoicing. Remember we saw last week, Paul said, my rejoicing is mega. I'm rejoicing big time. Why was Paul rejoicing big time? Look at verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul's heart was not set on getting these and receiving these gifts from the Philippians. He was set on what would accrue to their account. Paul wasn't focused on the money. He was focused on the credit that would go to the Philippians. 
this gospel fellowship between Paul and the Philippian church generated other-centeredness in Paul even. So he says, you know what? I'm not looking for your gifts. If they come, great. But if you give, this is what excites me. There's going to be fruit in your life. So it's like he gets the $50 gift card to Target, and I'm sure there's a part of him that says, yeah, this is exciting. But he's like, wait a minute. Even more exciting is that is the fact that they gave to me, so that means more fruit in their life. More fruit in their life is more exciting than the $50 gift card to Target or the homemade bread that he received or the pillows and blankets or whatever it was. See, Paul wasn't about their money. See, notice the words there. Not that. Paul strongly denies that he wanted their finances and gifts. His concern was for their advantage. Paul's heart was not set on getting money from the Philippians. Then where was his heart set? It doesn't get more pastoral than it does here. He wanted them to get the blessing out of it. He says in verse 17, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your account. Paul is excited because when they give, it means there will be more fruit in their life today and on that final day when they stand before Jesus Christ. He prayed about this in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. He said, I pray that the fruit of righteousness would be evident in your life, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. He wants that for them. Love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. He wants the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of righteousness to be evident in their life. And he says, when you give to me, I'm not excited because of the gifts. I'm ultimately excited because there's fruit in your life. Do you want to be a more loving person, a more joyful person, peaceful, patient, kind, doing good things for people, faithful, gentle, having self-control. Anybody want self-control? There is a direct correlation between your giving and your growing. There is a direct correlation to whether or not you are growing spiritually and how you're giving financially. Think about that. I'm not a TV preacher. This is biblical. There is a direct correlation you're growing spiritually in how much you're giving financially and of your time and your talent and your treasures. If you are a giving person, you will be a growing person. If you have joy in the gospel and you find contentment in all that God is for you and his son, Jesus Christ, it will result in you gladly giving to others. And if you're not growing spiritually, you might need to check and see how much you're giving of yourself from your bank account, the time that you use for others? Are you using the talents that the Lord's given you for others? One of the reasons, perhaps one of the reasons, it's not every reason, but one of the reasons you may be stagnant spiritually is because you are hoarding things for yourself. Your time, your talents, and your treasures. So you have to ask yourself, am I sacrificially giving to grace here with my time and my talent and my treasures? The Philippian church was giving financially to Paul, but he wasn't excited because he got money. He was excited because of the fruit that would accrue in their lives. So he says, I'm not seeking after these things. It's this Greek word, which means to to intently look for something. Like you lose your car keys and you're looking all over the house for them. He says, I am not intently seeking. I am not intently searching for your gifts. I am intently seeking and searching and looking after the credit 
that gets credited to your account in God's eyes when you give. Now, I don't know what any of you give here at Grace. There are people who know. I don't know. I don't want to know. But if you give here at Grace, I'm happy. I'm happy if you give financially. I'm happy if you give of your time. I'm happy if you give of your talents. I'm happy if you give financially here because it means we have money in the bank. Okay? But don't get me wrong. We have bills to pay here. That's not why I'm happy that you're giving. I'll tell you why in a minute why I'm happy. But, but we need you to give financially here. We have a mortgage that we want to get reduced. Amen? We ha- need soap in the bathroom. Amen? We need toilet paper in the bathroom. Amen? We need diapers in the nursery. Amen? I'll get an amen off this one. We need coffee to be served each week. Amen? And we have air conditioning units that need to be working properly when a heat wave comes to Santa Maria and it's 79 degrees. Right? I still don't get it. It's not a heat wave to me unless it's triple digit, but I'm going to become a, a, a Santa Marian eventually, okay? We need, but more importantly than all those things, we have missionaries that we want to support who are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we have ministries here that we need money and finances to do those things. But I'm excited when you give, not because we have money in the bank, because of what will get credited to your account when you give. The blessing that will come to you. It's proof that you have joy in God and you're gladly wanting to meet the needs of others. So I'm excited because the gospel's at work in your life when you give. That's why I'm happy. Not happy because of the numbers I see. I'm happy because of the fruit that will come about in your life. Listen, we're not seeking your tithes and offerings ultimately. Ultimately, we're not. We think it's biblical to give. If you're not giving financially, you're being disobedient. If you're not serving in this church somewhere, you're being disobedient. If you're not using your talents and your time for the Lord, you're being disobedient. But ultimately, we are seeking after the blessing that you will receive when you give of your time, talent, and treasure. We're seeking the fruit of the Spirit that will be evident in your life when you become other-centered. Who knew that giving financially to a church would produce the fruit of the Spirit? Isn't that what we want in our lives? And one of the ways that we see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is when we're giving of our time and our talent and our treasures. I'm excited when you give. Because I know the gospel is at work in your life. I'm excited when you give because it's evidence that you are a Christian. That you believe the gospel message and that you are partnering with us to see the gospel spread here in this city to the nations. I'm excited when you give because it means we are united in gospel fellowship. And it means that other-centeredness, focusing on others, has been generated in your heart. And there's nothing more beautiful in this world, I believe, than when you take a fallen sinner who by their nature worship themselves and think only about themselves and you see that person begin to die to selfishness and give things away to others. There's nothing more beautiful like that in this world because it means the gospel has been at work Oh, I long for the day when we will become a church where we begin to squash and and mortify and put to death selfishness. It it, it consumes us. It consumes me. Can I be honest with you? It consumed me last week. I went home, 
Heather wasn't there. Tabitha wasn't there. Piper wasn't there. Went home at lunch, threw in a frozen pizza real quick in the oven, ate every piece but the last piece, got up to get the last piece, and it was gone. If you don't believe Genesis 3, let me tell you that it was real for me. I was like, where's the last piece of pizza? It was mine. Didn't you see my name spelled out in pepperoni? At least had my initials on it. It was gone, and I was so frustrated. And then I looked at Heather, and I said, I'm sorry. I'm so selfish. It's so petty. It was a slice of pizza, and it worked me up. I mean, that's so petty because we're selfish at our core. So there's nothing more beautiful when fallen, selfish sinners start shattering the mirrors that are around them as they start looking at other people and say, I want to give to you because I want you to receive a blessing. And then the beautiful thing is that you begin to see the fruit of the Spirit in your life, which is really what we all want. See, love is the overflow of joy in God, which gladly meets the needs of others. Paul was excited. He was overflowing with joy for the blessing and fruit that would come to the Philippian church. Now look at verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He says, I am well supplied. It's this word that that he prayed for the Philippians in chapter one where he said, I want your love to overflow the set boundaries, to spill over the cup, if you will. He says, I'm spilling over the cup. I'm I'm well supplied. I'm overflowing the set boundaries. I expected maybe you'd give me like a loaf of bread and a Target gift card, but you sent several loaves of bread and, and several gift cards and pillows and blankets. I'm overflowing because you've been so generous to me. But he says, the gifts that you sent... Notice how he describes them, how gospel-centered he is. He didn't even bring up the bread and the gift cards or whatever it is that they gave him. He says, they're a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. In Greek, actually, he kind of doubles this word up. He says, it's a fragrant, fragrance offering. A a really great-smelling, fragrant offering is what he says. He's showing us that one of the ways that we can please God is to sacrificially Give to others. You want to please God with your life? You start giving things away. You have have God's favor because of Jesus. But it produces joy in God when people give away things that they have to other people. See, the gospel fellowship that united Paul and the church in Philippi not only made them other-centered, but even more importantly, it resulted in God being glorified. That's what verse 18 says. It says that their financial gifts to Paul were pleasing to God. When you give here at Grace and when you give to other ministries and missionaries, it goes up to God like a fragrant offering. There's this great smell that, that God takes in and it pleases him. God loves when we give sacrificially. It pleases him. It delights him. It brings him such joy because it's a picture of what his son has done for us in the gospel message. It's a picture of who God is. He is a giving God who delights to gladly meet the needs of fallen sinners. And that's what the Philippians were like. They had yoked together with Paul in gospel fellowship and it produced this other-centeredness that pleased the Lord. 
I mean, th- this was a great church. Okay, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul will describe, a little bit to your left in your Bibles, where Paul will describe the, the Philippian church. He will show us that love is the overflow of joy in God, which gladly meets the needs of others. And he shows, he shows us in 2 Corinthians 8. He's telling the Corinthian church as he's writing to them. He, he wants to brag on the Philippian church, several of the churches in the area. But the Philippians were one, one of the churches in Macedonia that Paul is bragging on in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at verse 1. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church to tell them about the Macedonian churches where Philippi was. It says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You see, Paul was going around to the churches in the area and he was collecting money for the the churches in Judea who were suffering a famine and were were poverty stricken and and needed money just to be able to survive to buy food. So Paul's traveling around taking up this offering. He says, when I went through Macedonia, let me tell you about how much they gave. First, he says, severe persecution. They're, They're going under severe persecution. The Philippians were facing severe persecution for following Jesus. I mean, who do you know that gives money away when they're being persecuted? Who thinks about other people when they're being persecuted and doesn't have a pity party? The Philippian church. Then he says, in their abundance of joy. Their joy was unleashed in Jesus, so they gave. Who has joy when they give? Did you give with joy this morning? John Calvin says, all men do not consider it a gain to give, nor do they ascribe it to God's grace. But the Philippians did. See, by our nature, we don't consider it a gain to give something away, to lose something. We don't consider that a gain. But Paul says the Philippians did. Then he says, in their extreme poverty, they were dirt poor, and they gave away their money. What happened when they did this? Paul says that their joy and their poverty came together in this overwhelming, overflowing wealth of generosity. They were dirt poor, but they were rich in generosity. Who do you know that is dirt poor, but who is wealthy in generosity? That's convicting. And Paul says they gave according to their means and beyond. They gave what they could give, and then they gave a little bit more. So as the offering plate goes through at the church of Philippi, they drop in some money, and as it goes behind them, they're like, wait a minute, I, I want to give some more. Hold up, here's some more. They gave, and then they keep, kept on giving. And then Paul says they gave of their own accord, which means they didn't feel like it was a duty, like, oh, I have to give, or like Paul was putting them in this like apostolic arm bar or something. You know, you got to give. They gave because they wanted to. And then here's the best part. Paul says, They begged Paul to give. Who does that? How many of you came in here this morning and said, please, 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 will you let me give today? Please, do the plates again. Run the offering again. I want to give more. Please, 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 can I give financially? Please, 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 can I serve here? Please, 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 can I use my talents in any way possible? I want to sacrifice my life. Please, please, please. They were begging to give. 
Amazing. Now, what caused the Philippians to do this? See, the gospel got down into the nooks and crannies of their heart. And they realized that this is what Jesus did for us through his life and death and resurrection. And they said, we want to be like Jesus. See, love is the overflow of joy in God, which gladly meets the needs of others. The Philippians didn't worry about themselves. Their joy in the gospel was unleashed, so they were free to love others by gladly meeting their needs. But who in the world was going to take care of the Philippians if they were dirt poor and they gave and they gave and they gave and then they begged to actually give more and give more? Who's going to take care of them? Turn back to Philippians chapter 4. Who's going to take care of this church who's dirt poor, gives and gives and gives, and then begs to give, to keep on giving? Who in the world is going to take care of them? Look at Philippians 4, verse 19. Many of you know this verse, but now you know the context. He says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul wants the Philippians to know that God's going to take care of them. He's going to meet their needs. Notice it doesn't say, my God will supply all your wants. God's not going to give you everything that you want. Notice that it doesn't say, my God shall supply every need of yours according to your needs. See, God will supply what you need out of his bounty when you give sacrificially of your time, talent, and treasures. God will supply your needs Because you've given everything away, he will supply your needs according to his riches and glory. He's loaded. He'll take care of you. When you give away of your time and your talent and your treasures, he's loaded and he will take care of you. See, love is the overflow of joy in God, which gladly meets the needs of others. Philippians 4.19 is showing us that God does this. God's love for his children is the overflow of the joy that God has in God. God delights in himself. God delights in being God. God delights in being a gracious, giving God, so he loves to meet our needs. See, when you gladly give away your resources to meet other people's needs because you have so much joy in Jesus, then God will gladly meet your needs because he delights in being a giving God. Do you see the context here? God delights to give. God loves to give. And when you give your stuff away, God says, great, because I love to give. I'm a, gra- I'm a gracious, giving God. I love you, my child. I love to give to you. giving all your things away. Guess what? I have joy in being a gracious, giving God, and now let me give to you and meet your needs. When you gladly give away your resources to meet others' needs because you have so much joy in Jesus, then God will gladly meet your needs because he delights in being a giving God. In verse 16, Paul said that the Philippians met his needs once and again. And then he tells them in verse 19 that God will supply their needs. Paul had a need. The Philippians met it. Now the Philippians had a need. God's going to meet that need. They gladly gave away their their resources to help Paul and the churches in Judea because they had joy in God. It was evidence of their love. But then God will gladly meet their needs because God delights and has joy in being a giving God. It's proof of his love. When we give... 
And God gives to us, and he loves to give to us, and all of this brings him glory. Understand that. Your giving of your time, talents, and treasures brings God glory. It pleases him. And that's why Paul says in verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's all about God's glory. So when you give away, God gets glorified. And when you give to other people and they receive it, who do they give glory to? God. And then when you give away and they're giving thanks to glory and you're wondering who's going to meet your needs, then God says, I'd delight to meet your needs. And then you give glory to God and God gets glorified in all of it. It is a win, 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 win situation for everyone involved. Now, let's look at verses 21 through 23. And you may be tempted to think that these are throwaway verses, but they're rich theologically. Look at verse 21 with me. Paul says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. All this greeting of all these saints, all this community, this gospel fellowship is happening is is proof that the gospel was spreading in Rome. Even though Paul was in prison and he told us in chapter 1 that his imprisonment was, was making this highway or advancement for the gospel. He says, now that I'm in prison, the gospel is actually beginning to spread. In fact, he says, it's spreading even to Caesar's household, which means that there were people in Caesar's household who were hearing the gospel, probably because Paul is sharing the gospel with the guards who were watching him. As people bring him needs, they're trying to figure out, man, you guys really love this guy. You, you, you love each other. What is this? And, and the gospel just begins to spread and it goes all the way to Caesar's household. It is proof that love is the overflow of joy in God, which gladly meets the, uh, the needs of others. You know why it is? Because Paul and, and the Christians in Rome loved the fallen sinners that they lived with and met that they gladly told them about Jesus to meet their need because they had a need of being reconciled with the holy God. Do you see how that's love? Do you see how it's love when you tell people about Jesus? Because they have a very deep need. They have the, the greatest need any human being can ever have, and that's how in the world do I get reconciled with a holy God because I'm a sinner. And that's love because they told them about Jesus. They shared the gospel with him and met their spiritual need. Lastly, we see how God is glorified as he imparts his grace to the Philippians. Look at verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's how Paul ends this letter. He's saying God will be glorified as he empowers the Philippians with his grace to live lives synced up with the gospel individually and as a church community. Remember, Paul began this epistle by saying grace to you. And now it's appropriate that he comes back to that. Philippians need God's grace. They need his power. They need his strength if they're to be a giving church, if they're to endure the persecution that's happening, if they're ever going to die to their selfishness. And they've been doing a pretty good job. They need God's grace. I love what John Piper says about this phrase, grace to you, that Paul often begins his letters and ends them with. He says this, at the beginning of his letters, Paul has in mind that the letter itself is a channel of God's grace to the readers. Grace is about to flow from God through Paul's writing to the Christians. So he says, grace to you. That is, grace is now active and is about to flow from God through my inspired writing to you as you read the words, grace to you. 
But as the end of the letter approaches, Paul realizes that the reading is almost finished and the question rises, what becomes of the grace that has been flowing to the readers through the reading of the inspired letter? He answers with a blessing at the end of every letter. Grace be with you. May grace be with you as you put the letter away and leave the church. With you as you go home to deal with a sick child and an unaffectionate spouse. With you as you go to work and face temptations of anger and dishonesty and lust. With you as you muster up courage to speak up for Christ over lunch. It's God's grace. We need God's grace. If we're to be a gospel-centered community that's giving to other people and telling people about Jesus, we need God's grace because we are selfish at our core. If we're ever to die to our propensity of selfishness, we need God's grace through the power of the gospel to cause us to die to ourselves. We need God's grace to be other-centered. We need God's grace to tell people about Jesus. The bottom line We need God's grace, period. That's why I like the name of our church. We're continually reminded that we need God's grace. May God's grace be with us through what we've learned through the book of Philippians. May the gospel be what unites our hearts. And may our joy in Jesus Christ be unleashed for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your wonderful grace, your amazing grace that you give to sinners. Father, we are selfish at our core. We get upset over someone taking the last slice of pizza, and it's so petty. But I thank you for the reminder this last week, God, of my own selfishness. Would you make us a church that looks to Jesus, that rehearses the gospel, and that we begin to give away of our time and our talent and our treasures so that blessing comes to others, so that they may thank you for meeting their needs. They would have joy. And then God, would you meet our needs as we give away to others. And then may you be pleased through it all. And may you be glorified through it all. And may the gospel go on display. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.